flag for the American League Championship. I don't believe it. It just continues. My oh High fly ball into right field. She is gone. Oh, drives one. I get pumped every time I hear that intro, particularly the old Sean McDonough call on the Warren Morris walk-off in the College World Series. And then, of course, the Stephen Vogt walk-off of a different kind. What an absolutely great moment that was. The FSS Plus podcast, Jason Trudger Hiller. Hey, uh, Jeremy and Joe are out. So it's just you and me this week. Uh, we'll get JB back next week. We'll get Joe back next week. But uh, those two guys are too busy. They also don't really like me very much. They're, they're not big fans of Jason Churchill. And, and you probably aren't either, but I enjoy that in case you haven't figured that out. So we're going to do a lot of different stuff once we get JB and Joe back. But uh, on the show today, I want to go I want to go down the list of top remaining free agents just to kind of re-summarize what's out there. It's been a little bit slow. It's a little bit hot and cold. We get a signing or two. Then it goes dead for a week or two. Then we get a big signing and it goes dead for a week or two. That's kind of the pace we're on, which has left us with a pretty sizable list of free agents that belong. Well, I'm going to pull from my own top 50 that uh, that I ranked uh, about two months ago, a little over two months ago now. Uh, so we'll go through that just to kind of reset. There's some free agents out there that I think some folks are forgetting about. And uh, you know, I'll, I'll remind you, that'll be my goal for that. Also, I want to talk about the world draft. Now, the topic of a world draft came up several years ago, and it's kind of died. Okay, it's kind of died. But it, and, and I'm definitely going to bring this up when Joe and JB are back. Uh, that's a conversation I ultimately want to have with both of them on the show. Um, but the world draft, the idea or some version of it may come up again in the next few years with the league and the Players Association now having gained some steam with, I'll say, a chance at continuous agreements after the last CBA negotiations. So I want to share my thoughts on the world draft today. And, and, and there are some versions of it that I think make a lot of sense. And there are some versions of it that are ridiculous. I just have some fun. It's random. It's January. We'll just pull something out of my backside and we'll we'll talk about it. And then we'll get JB and Joe's uh, take on it. In, uh, in the coming weeks. I also want to talk a little bit about Blake Snell's market, especially now that the Yankees have signed right-hander Marcus Stroman. The Cubs have signed uh, lefty Shota Imanaga, and the Mets have signed Sean Manaya. Do those things impact Blake Snell's market? I think at least a little bit they do. A uh, quick reminder before we get started, head to futurestarsseries.com to get Joe Doyle's latest draft boards and mock drafts. And a quick reminder on top of that, we're getting closer and closer to getting Joe Doyle's organization top 30s, team by team top 30s. I know he's working on them, and we have a plan for early to mid-February on uh, on those. Let's, let's start out with Blake Nell's free agency here. I think when the offseason started, I think a lot of folks thought, okay, other than Shohei Otani and maybe Yoshinobu Yamamoto because he's 25 freaking years old, Blake Snell might be the best starting pitcher on the free agent market. It's probably either him 
or Aaron Nola or maybe Jordan Montgomery. I think that was the, the thought. One of those three. Even if you have Snell third, it's really close. Snell's probably at least second. But it's strange. Nola went, you know, he obviously went off the board really quickly going back to Philadelphia. But seven years and $172 million. And here we are, Blake Snell, Jordan Montgomery still on the market. Now, Snell, coming off his second Cy Young, by the way, if you don't remember, he won the Cy Young what, five years ago as well. It was the second best season of his career. But there are some hesitations on the left-hander, and, and one can see why. His 2023 season, by the way, was the second time in eight years, just the second time in eight years, that he's thrown 130 innings or more. And both times he did that, he reached 180 innings and won the Cy Young. The first one came back in 2018 with the Rays. Snell also has a track record of missing some time, contributing to those lighter workloads over the years. He missed nearly two months uh, his rookie year in 2016 after starting the season uh, pretty strong for the Rays. He missed five weeks or so in 2017, six weeks in 2019, a handful of starts in 2021, and five weeks or so in 2022. So there's a lot of that. You can understand the hesitation. You can understand why Nola went off the board first, particularly to the team that knows him best. But even if he'd have left early or left for another club, the fact that he signed early, there's probability there that, that Blake Snell does not have. And Blake Snell also tends to issue the base on balls at a higher rate than any club is all that comfortable with, despite the end result. At some point in his career, walking 9, 10, 11, 12, 13% of the batters is going to bite you in the backside. While you have strikeout stuff, you have a chance to get out of that. You have a chance to overcome that. And there may actually be an advantage to it. Hey, you're 3-2 on a guy, 3-1 on a guy. You don't want to, you don't want to 2-1. You don't want to come into the strike zone and you're just going to walk the guy with two outs and then strike. Fine. There's, there's more to that, that whole topic of the walk rates than just the walk rate itself. But at some point, you got to avoid that at a better rate than he does. Now, the positives, I, I think with Blake Snell, the positives still outweigh the negatives. Starting with, he has produced a 30% or better K rate six consecutive seasons. So despite that walk rate that was over 13% in 2023, 30-plus percent strikeout rate, his floor, Blake Snell's floor, despite the fact that he has shown us he might only throw 125, 130 innings, is still probably a two, two and a half win guy. That that's a you know, what's that? A good number four? He's throwing as hard as ever at 31 years old, and none of his injuries are the alarming type that included missing huge chunks of entire seasons. He doesn't have the the labrum uh, surgery in his in his rear view. He doesn't have Tommy John, knock on wood, in his rear view. It's just been little nagging stuff, like a bag of leg, things like that. But the thing is, teams don't really feel all that confident in what they're getting from Snell. I don't think anybody argues the ceiling here. I think the ceiling is a four, four and a half win guy that he was last year, that he was in 2018. But the chances you're getting that don't feel great. They don't know. We don't know if he's a legit 
capable of running out another four or four and a half win season like he did in 2023 because he's never done it in back-to-back years. But I will say this. He is coming off his best two-season run the past two years in San Diego. And we are absolutely talking about one of the elite left-handers in baseball with three legit secondary weapons to back up the velocity on the four-seamer. But what does this market look like? If the Yankees are now out, that's an if. If the Yankees are now out after Stroman, after adding Stroman, that rotation, by the way, looks Garrett Cole, Carlos Rodon, Marcus Stroman, Nestor Cortez, and probably Clark Schmidt at this point. There's room to add Snell and maybe move a Schmidt or a Cortez to the pen, but Snell isn't going to be cheap. Now, Ken Rosenthal recently reported the Yankees don't like the current prices for Snell or Jordan Montgomery or the trade ask for Dylan Cease. And then if the price comes down, the Yankees would still like to do Blake Snell. So they're interested at a certain point. But if the Yankees at a certain price are out on Snell, and if the Mets happen to be out on Snell now after signing Sean Manaya, and I don't get me wrong, they shouldn't be. I'm not saying Manaya is Blake Snell. So now that they got Manaya, they don't need Blake Snell. They absolutely do still need a Blake Snell. You look at that rotation in New York with the Mets. It's uh, Kodai Senga, Luis Severino, Jose Quintana, uh, I guess McGill and Peterson and David Peterson probably round out that five right now. They absolutely need a guy like, like Blake Snell, but it sounds like they wanted uh, Yamamoto and haven't so far been willing to go to the top of the market for Montgomery or Snell. And if the Cubs after signing Imanaga are out, which they also shouldn't be, but they might be because they might be more into going out and getting Cody Bellinger and Matt Chapman at this point. The market for Snell may have just shrunk quite a bit over the last week with those three signings. That doesn't necessarily mean he has to lower his price. It means maybe there are fewer teams willing to meet a price range he likes. I'd say the Angels make a lot of sense, at least from the team standpoint. I think the Giants make a lot of sense, and uh, I believe it was John Heyman, MLB Network's John Heyman reported that those two teams are still in on him, and Heyman also noted the Phillies are in the running, which is really interesting. The, the same Philly team who has Zach Wheeler and just brought back Aaron Nola for $172 million. Now, if you look at that depth chart, you look at that rotation right now, what is that rotation? It's Wheeler, it's Nola, it's Taiwan Walker, it's Suarez, and probably Sanchez at this point. Maybe Matt Strom. There's room for Snell. I like that fit. There's room for Snell, and we know Philly will spend. But let me throw this out there. What about the Texas Rangers? Jacob deGrom is going to miss a good portion of the season, if not the whole thing. Max Scherzer is going to miss about half the season. Jordan Montgomery is a free agent. We know the Rangers are heavy in on Montgomery. That seems to be their first choice. But if that doesn't happen, because the Yankees are also interested in Montgomery, a couple other clubs are also interested in Montgomery. And even though Texas is the favorite, what if that doesn't happen? Wouldn't Snell be in line there just in case Texas ends up losing out on Montgomery or or preferring the price of Snell over the price for, for Montgomery? I think Texas could be a major player. Now, I'm, I'm speaking about this from a team standpoint, I'm not pretending to know what Blake Snell wants, what he values most. And going back to the Cubs, they should not be out on Snell, 
right now that rotate rotation projects projects to be uh Justin Steele, Jamison Tyone, Imanaga. That's a nice one, two, three. But is that an actual one, two, three? And then Kyle Hendrickson, either Drew Smiley or Javier Assad at the back end. Now adding Snell would be pretty huge for anyone, but the Cubs don't exactly have what you would call a one, two, three. It looks more like a two, three, four at the top or a uh or a two, four, four or a two, three, three. Snell changes that dramatically. If you just consider the National League Central right now, the Brewers backing off, the Reds trying to make a little bit of a push. There's more talent. There are a lot of young talent, but there's more talent there. The Pirates are probably still a 70s win team, maybe maybe 500. But you look at that division. The Cardinals made some moves this winter, and we know they can hit. Jordan Walker's going to have a big year. Arenado's back. Goldschmidt is back. Newt Barr is back. Uh, Donovan is back. Edmund is back. All those guys are back. They're going to hit. Contreras is back. They're going to hit. And they signed a couple of starters, including Sonny Gray. So they should be better. They still have some work to do, but they should be better. The Cubs with Blake, the Cubs as are probably right there with the Cardinals. Now, obviously, injuries are a big part of this. And sometimes you just never know when older players fall off a cliff and you never know when younger players are going to explode or take a step back. Not everything is, is linear, but those two teams look pretty even. If you added Blake Snell to the Cubs rotation right now, that's your National League central favorite. That's the favorite. Even if you just told me Blake Snell gives them 150 innings, that is your National League central favorite. So they shouldn't be out on Blake Snell. I would put the Red Sox in the same boat. But he's here's the thing. Does anyone really know what in the world the Red Sox are trying to do? Alex Verdugo out. Totally understand. He had one year left. You want to do they got some young arms, whatever. Okay. Tyler O'Neill in. Okay. Chris Sale out. Lucas Gilito in. It, are the Red Sox better today than they were to end the season? Certainly not clearly and absolutely not significantly. They still have an outfield problem and 100% still have a sore need for impact starting pitchers. Gilito, uh, Bayo, Pavetta, Tanner Howe, Cutter Crawford, and an average bullpen, is that going to push this roster toward the top of the American League East? I don't think so. I don't even think there's any question the answer is no to that. And one thing we really don't know at this point is what is the, what is Snell asking for right now? Is he asking for NOLA money at 7 and 172? Because that seemed to be a little bit of a guide for us. We can look at that and say, all right, well, Nola's as reliable as it comes. You know, he had at least 160 innings every full season since 2016. He got the 200 innings three times, 180 innings five times. He's been worth three and a half wins or more every full season during that span. The only one where he wasn't was the 60-game uh, shortened 2020 season. But Snell still looks like a five- to six-year, $120, $130 million pitcher, kind of in the Robbie Ray mold from a couple of years ago. He's like Robbie Ray with inflation. Blake Snell is better than Eduardo Rodriguez, who just got $80 million over four years from Arizona. He's three years younger than maybe the most similar performer on this year's market, Sonny Gray, who got $25 million a year for three years from the Cardinals. I'd say the floor here for Snell, the floor should be four and a hundred. If I'm the Giants, the Angels, the Rangers, I would go five and, and 125, maybe even six and, and 140 if that gets him to sign today. 
boy, do the Giants and Angels need another guy. Like, can you imagine Blake Snell and Logan Webb at the top of that Giants rotation? They might be able to to be a pest. I'm not saying they're going to win 110 games, but the Giants might be able to be able to be a pest to those uh, to those Dodgers if you have a rotation led by Logan Webb and Blake Snell. You're not beating the Dodgers most likely, but you might be able to be a pest and you might be able to get into the postseason with a wild card. Right now, I look at the Giants. That's not a playoff team. Blake Snell changes that. You had Blake Snell at that club. I'm thinking, yeah, they have a pretty good shot at making the playoffs. Cubs might get in anyway. But you had Blake Snell to that. They're probably winning that division. It's mid-January. And one of the best lefties in baseball is still available. It's kind of remarkable. By the way, I think if the the offers are similar from Angels, Rangers, some of these other clubs, I think the Giants probably get Snell. Just a gut feel. We're going to have to see. Jordan Montgomery's still out there too. What's the market on him? He Jordan Montgomery's kind of Aaron Nola light. Right, like reliable, not not much of an injury history. Doesn't have the uh, the in and out of the rotation thing that Blake Snell has, but he also doesn't have the upside of Snell. He's he's never been that that Cy Young guy. He was pretty good for the Rangers down the stretch, though. The Yankees know how good he is. The Cardinals know how good he is. The Rangers know how good he is. Like we all know how good Jordan Montgomery is, but he's also not a one. He's more of a light two. It's a good pitcher. It's a good pitcher, and he should get at least a hundred million as well. Maybe a little less AAV than an Aaron Nola. Maybe his AAV is a little closer to Rodriguez, but I think he probably gets five years. I thought it was interesting Marcus Stroman took a two-year deal to go to the Yankees. It's not exactly a great ballpark to pitch in if you're Marcus Stroman. But I think that tells you, hey, I want to be somewhere where I can win. That always matters. I want to play in pinstripes. That matters to a lot of folks as well. Stroman's starting to get up there in age. Doesn't really have that uh, uh, that much longer, especially near or at the top of his game. Wants to be part of a winner. Thought the Yankees were a pretty good chance. Pitch with Rodon and Cole and Aaron Judge and Juan Soto in the lineup. Yeah, yeah I, I, I see that. I have to wonder, though, if he couldn't have squeezed the third year out of someone else. I understand why he chose the Yankees, even if it's just the two-year and, what, 37? I think he got 37 million. But I just wonder if someone else like the Angels, like the Tigers, maybe maybe the Cubs were willing to go three years. Although it seems like if you're the Cubs and you just signed Imanaga to what could end up being a five-year $80 million deal, but four years and $53 million guaranteed, you're probably out on Stroman. Snell's a different story, but you're probably out on Stroman. All right, interesting. Uh, you know, we'll sandwich this. I want to talk more free agents. I want to go through. Uh, I ranked early in the, in November at at midnightmariners.com the top 50 free agents, just according to me. I don't think there's anything outlandish there. I'm sure you'll disagree with some of it. But in going through that, there are 20, 21 players from that top 50 still available. So we'll go through those really quick at the at the end of the show. But let's talk about the world draft thing. And I know this is out of left field. 
It's it's kind of a, and I should have marketed this as a segment. Out of left field, let's talk about something nobody's really talking about for the absolute hell of it. Something on your mind? Out of left field for the hell of it. That's what this is. Now, I, I know this has not been, not only not a hot topic of late, I don't think anybody's bringing it up anymore. It's been a few years. But I think it becomes a thing or some version of it becomes a thing in the next year or two. And I just wanted it to, to not really get out front, but I've been thinking about it. I think about the draft a lot. I think about things I change about Major League Baseball. But some years back, the idea of a world draft was brought up and even pushed by some in the industry. It's, it's an accounting challenge when you think about it, among other obstacles. Um, and that's kind of kept things at bay for a little while now. But there are two theories, kind of two forms of it. One of them I absolutely despise and do not believe Major League Baseball should or will do it. And the other one I like. But when you hear the term world draft, doesn't that suggest to you everybody gets thrown in the same pot? Yeah. So that's that's the number one kind of version of it. Every amateur player in the world that meets certain eligibility requirements, such as an age minimum, would be subject to one draft rather than the way it is now where it's U.S., Canada, Puerto Rico with the current requirements for high school and college players to be eligible. That's one way. The second way is the current draft would stay the same and the international free agency period, the amateur free agency period internationally would turn into a draft. Now, neither would include professionals from KBO or NPB because they don't now no matter their age or experience. That's what the the posting fees, the posting, uh, uh, the MPB, MPB players come over, coming over like Yamamoto, like Otani originally, and there are different kinds. Like Yamamoto was a true free agent. Like he was treated like a true free agent. That's what I'm getting at. But there's a posting fee, right? Same with uh, uh, with Jung O Lee getting $113 million from the Giants. There'll be a posting fee there. But that's that's free agency from Korea and Japan. Now, when Otani came over, he was too young. Didn't have the experience, didn't have the minimum requirement to essentially meet the free agency requirement that the two or the three that that Japan and the United States and Major League Baseball as together. So there was uh, Shohei Otani was subject to international free agency. Those, the amateur free agency rules. So there had to be bonus pool conversations and teams were trading for by Seattle was trading into Miami and trading to the twins to try to get as much of, of uh, international bonus pool money to try to get Otani. These don't need to impact that. They don't need to include those players, and I don't think it would. I don't think it should. When you get a guy like Otani who's played professional baseball in Japan, just because he's only 22 years old or 23 years old or whatever it is, doesn't mean he should be you know, subject to any sort of a draft. And I think if that happened, we'd get fewer players like that coming over. So I don't think that would be or should be a part of it. 
Now, the first idea, a true world draft, it's a terrible idea for two main reasons. One, the Latin American kids would be at a significant disadvantage. Most of them are ready to sign when they hit 16 years old, and they already have agreements in place. Now, they'd have to wait. If there's a world draft, they'd have to wait at least another year, maybe two, or as 16-year-olds be put in the same pot against the high school seniors and college eligibles, undoubtedly taking money away from most of those international amateurs. The top guys would get their money or close to it, most likely, but the kids getting you know, 300K, 500K, 700K, 800K, even a million dollars are likely to fall out of the first couple of rounds and well out of line for the payday they'd otherwise be getting. You can make a case that some years, a player that might get 800 to 800,000 to a million dollars in international free agency, amateur free agency during that, that signing period that's in January now, you like that player goes in the fourth round. It gets 400K or 300K. Number two, for the LATAM kids who don't fall, someone has to. So if you inserted, say, 20 more top 100 players into the draft, someone's falling. Someone is getting less than they otherwise would. If it's not the 16-year-old from Venezuela, who it most likely will be, it's the prep second rounder from, you know, Eaton High School in Colorado. I hate the idea of combining that. Those are those are two different sets of players. And while it's true, high school players are a different set of players than the college eligibles. I'll say we're already used to that. We're already we're already used to evaluating against that. And if it wasn't going to hurt players' positioning from where they are now, I don't want to go backwards in terms of players getting their piece of pie, right? Like, I don't want to slice it any thinner than it already is. For the record, and this comes into play, just to use 2023 as an example, and this has been the trend lately, it used to be closer to 50-50. But here's the thing. 82% of the players selected in the 2023 draft were college players. Just 18%, 113, were high school players. 20 rounds plus a couple of bonus rounds competitive balance rounds, the PPI, like all of that, 614 players were drafted. Only 113 of them were high school players. It waters it down and in general hurts everyone, but it's going to hurt those Latin American kids the most. So screw that idea. I hate it. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It only helps owners, to be honest with you. Do you think owners would spend more money if you added all those um, international amateurs to the draft, or do you think they'd spend less? Because unless we're talking about raising significantly the bonus pools, which is not part of this, it's not going to be part of this, promise. I promise you it's not. Trust me. Trust me, bro. It's not. The reason those, those bonus pools are in place is because owners are trying to curb their own spending. That's why there's a luxury tax. They want to curb their own spending. So that's not happening. The second idea above makes a lot of sense though. Turn the international signing period into a draft. So right now, aside from clubs having restrictions on, on total bonus money, right? Like, you know, the Twins have X amount. The Yankees have X amount. 
It's a free for all other than that. And there are punishments if you go over and things like that. And teams don't tend to go over very often, but it's a free for all. With a draft, there's more structure. The talent is spread out more evenly. This would also further prevent garbage dealings, which still absolutely occur in this market. All important things, but perhaps most important, it is another opportunity for Major League Baseball to capture an audience of some sort. Now, the current draft, the way it's set up, the Major League Baseball draft is nowhere near as popular as the NFL draft. It's not as popular as the NBA draft. I can't speak to the NHL draft, but I'd imagine it's not as popular as that either. But it is growing. It is growing in popularity. It is, a, it is an event that they feel gives them value to televise. So they do. Any opportunity for baseball to get executive scouts and especially players' names and faces on television is a chance for Major League Baseball to grow. This could be another one of those. You know what I do? So the signing period used to be in July. We all know that. It was the July 2nd. It would open international signing. All the guys signed. They moved it to January. It's upon us right now. But if you move this to February, after the Super Bowl, so it's after the Super Bowl and it's before the, the next NFL season starts. The season is usually like the second week of March. So if you do this in February, like a week or two after the Super Bowl, it coincides with the opening of spring training, all those camps, the baseball season, the smell of the grass, all of that, right? Pitchers and catchers report. We all, love, all those baseball fans love hearing those words. But if you did this international draft, at about that time, the NBA still isn't all that interesting to the sports world. The NFL is, well, the draft hasn't happened. The Super Bowl is a week or two old. College basketball is kind of getting down in the nitty gritty, but that's basically it. But it's also before conference tournaments and before the NCAA tournament. Major League Baseball would have a chance to capture a decent audience here. I'm not saying this is a unbelievable made-for-TV event. It is just another opportunity to capture an audience during an otherwise relatively dead period of time in sports and entertainment. The fact something of this nature hasn't occurred already, already I think tells us how stuck in 1986 the league is with things. And then rather than taking a step or two in the right direction in a timely fashion, they wait several years too long and then they jump 50 steps and go extreme when things may be changed over the last five years. But that version of a, of a world draft I like, but it's not a world draft. It's an international draft. It's an international amateur draft. It is the international version. And this doesn't have to be limited to Latin American amateurs, but it should be limited to amateurs. Amateurs in other countries that are, are eligible, that somehow are eligible, fine. That doesn't really happen in Japan, but occasionally it happens in Korea. It can certainly happen out of Australia. We've seen Australians come over. But any other country would be eligible for that. It wouldn't just be Latin America. I think it's something that could help grow the sport in general. You make a bigger deal of that particular event. You make it an actual event. You make a bigger deal out of it. People, More people are going to take notice. 
Anyway, I think if you pair that, if you pair that event, and yeah, I, I know it would be relatively small, at least a start. It's not like it's going to cost a lot of money to put together. Come on. If you pair that event and you have it in a place like Miami or New Orleans or Las Vegas or something, right? And you're not always going to be able to have those players in town, but you'll have executives and maybe some of those players be able to make it. Like, I think that would clean stuff up. It's an event to promote. It grows the sport. And if you pair that with the opening of spring training, it kind of goes together in the kickoff to the baseball season. Anyway, it's stuff. Uh, it, it's it's something I think about when people ask me what changes I'd make. You know, like uh, for the record, I also think the trade deadline should be August twenty, not August fifteen. August twenty. I want to see more trades, and with the new wild card, we're just not seeing as many major trades because too many teams are in it. So you get the best of both worlds when teams stay in it, but then you give them that opportunity with five and a half weeks left in the season to go, you know what? We are not in it. This only helps the smaller market clubs. Instead of holding on to a player, well, we were in it in the last three weeks. We just completely fell off. We're now nine games out of the wild card instead of three. Let's go ahead and trade these two veterans to get younger players so we can continue next year. I would do that. I also think roster should be 28 players with an active designation of 26 players before every game. And like a lot of other folks, I think there should be a payroll floor. I think that floor should be equivalent to 75 or 80% of the median, not the average, the median payroll in major league baseball, which in 2023 would have been about $120 million. I think the median was around 150. And I say median because that would avoid one or two teams dragging it up or pulling it down. Anyway, that's not if I were a commissioner. That's if I were running the planet because the commissioner doesn't want to do anything that owners don't want to do. We have to remember that. The commissioner is literally a puppet. That is his job. And if you don't like the commissioner as a fan, that means he's doing his job. All right. We talked Blake Snell and, and his market. Uh, let's go through the rest of the uh, the top free agents. Uh I'll be pulling these in order from my original top 50 from back in early November. Uh, right now, the number one player left for me is Cody Bellinger. Uh, it seems the Cubs are the favorites here, but he still makes sense in places like Boston, San Francisco, Toronto. Which one pulls the trigger and how much money does Cody Bellinger get? Because I think there was talk early that this was a guy who could get $200 million, maybe 220 Is anyone going to give him that at this point? And, and if that were the asking price and there was a team out there willing to do it, if somebody offered him 200 don't you think he takes it by now? So I'm thinking probably no one has offered him that. No one has been willing to do that yet. Maybe the price has to come down. Now, I was told by somebody who works in the, uh, I'll say a National League front office, um, that said, hey, uh, Bellinger's probably getting less than Dansby Swanson. And Dansby Swanson got a little under $180 million. Take that for what it's worth. Uh, but Bellinger's number one. Number two, Snell. We talked about him. Number three, Montgomery. Seems this is about the Rangers, the Angels, Giants, Yankees, maybe the Red Sox if they figure out what they're doing. Uh, Matt Chapman is four. Your guess is as good as mine here. Chapman is vastly overrated as a hitter, but is as good a third baseman as, as we've seen. Uh, I have no idea where the market for him is now. Early on, there was a lot of 
He might be able to get $150 million. I'm not sure he has a chance to get that, considering he's essentially the older third base equivalent of Dansby Swanson. But with more injury risk and the obvious difference between the two positions, Toronto still makes sense here. But if I'm a Detroit fan, by the way, and I can get Chapman for $90 million, I think I'm doing it. Detroit has a chance to move in that division. Still a little short. They've done some good things this winter. I think they're still short pitching-wise. But I think there's a hole at third base. And in that lineup that Chapman can fill. Uh, number five, Reese Hoskins. He's a first base DH only coming off an ACL injury, but uh, he was a very steady hitter prior to last season. It comes with a lot less performance risk than most of the other hitters uh, in the market right now. And we'll get to some of those in a couple. Number six is Josh Hader. Someone is going to grossly overpay Hader. But for me, anything beyond three and 45 is risky. I bet he gets at least 60 million, but I'm not sure who gives it to him. I really don't have a feel for that right now. Even considering all that's being reported, I really don't have a good feel. Uh, seven, Jorge Soler had a big 2023. Uh, he's been inconsistent at the plate and really shouldn't play the outfield anymore. Probably fits in places like Boston, Toronto. And I, here's a here's just a gut feel. Don't rule out San Diego here. Don't rule out San Diego on Jorge Soler. Uh, number nine, J.D. Martinez. He's kind of a hit or miss bat at age 36. He's coming off the his best season since 2019, I think it is. But I'd worry about a steep decline like we saw with Jose Abreu a year ago, especially considering J.D. Martinez's rise in strikeout rate and a 2.1% rise in swing and miss rate. Don't like seeing that at age 36. Uh, number 10, Justin Turner. If Turner wasn't 39, he'd be signed by now, probably for north of $40 million. But he's mostly a first-base DH now, limiting his market. Angels? Toronto? Uh, number 11, Robert Stevenson. Probably the most underrated player on the market for me. His cutter generated absurd results in 2023, including a 60% whiff rate. And batter said just 101 with a 253 slug against the pitch. He's probably getting 10 to $12 million a year, for multiple years, which may limit his market to the elites. We haven't heard a whole lot about Robert Stevenson. Uh, former Cincinnati Red, obviously just came off a good season with the Rays. Number 12, Michael Lorenzen. You know, scouts and a little bit of pitch data suggest more swing and miss is on the way here, but he's a dual role arm. He can start for you. He can pitch out of the bullpen. Uh, and if it's a short-term deal, because it, absolutely is going to be there's a high floor here and a lack of risk so i'm a little surprised he's still in the market especially with the manayas and the stromans we should see lorenzen's market start to move number 13 for me is ahmed rosario he's the best middle infielder on the market in a league where no one is trading players like this may not be an everyday option but he makes contact and despite having a down year in 2023 he has hit the satisfactory levels before just 28 years old i'm surprised rosario is still out there Number 14 is Yario Rodriguez, Cuban right-hander, has worked out for clubs uh, both early in the, in the offseason and a little bit later in the offseason. Uh, Dominican Republic was the first one. Uh, Mid-90s fastball, mid-80s slider. Someone is going to get a bargain here. Uh, number 15, Adam Duvall was having a good year before he got hurt in Boston and despite being 35, really showing very little decline thus far. I wouldn't play him every day, but he's handled, handled righties better than lefties. So while there's no split advantage from the standpoint of production, he also doesn't have to be a pure platoon bat. You could just use him as a part-time player and you don't have to go, well, let's look for the opportunity against the lefty. Don't have to do that. Uh, same thing with Tommy Pham, who's number 16 for me. 36 years old, coming off a really good season. He can still defend and steal a base. 
contender is going to get a good part-time player late in the winter here with fam uh, 17 Michael a Taylor. He can hit lefties. He can play center field. He's at least as good as Harrison Bader who got the same 10 and a half million dollar deal as Kevin Kiermeyer. So I expect Taylor to get something within 10, 15, 20% of that. Uh, number 18, Gary Sanchez, another underrated free agent here. Sanchez is going to hit for power and isn't the awful defender Yankees fans made him out to be. He's not good, but he's not terrible. Should never catch level. And I think he showed that in 2023 with the Padres. Uh, number 19, a is Chapman, 36, was inconsistent in 2023. He does limit the long ball and should be an asset in 2024 if that continues, but he shouldn't be any contender's best reliever anymore. Uh, number 20, Brandon Belt, had a great 2023 in a platoon role, could do it again in the right situation. Needs to be protected against lefties and against overexposure from a workload standpoint. He is 36 years old after all. But clubs like the Padres, the Diamondbacks, the Mets, and Angels, it can make a lot of sense going out and grabbing Brandon Belt. He will absolutely crush right-handed pitching. That's a strong side platoon, by the way. That's a guy who gets 400 plate appearances. Uh, number 21 for me and the final guy remaining from my top 50. Uh, he was originally number 50 on my list. That's Hunjin Ryu, 37 years old and missed all but 11 promising starts to end last season but he's going to throw strikes already got that back already showed he's back to normal at the end of last year, the final couple of months. He's an ideal back end addition to a good rotation on a good team that needs reliability and some hand in this balance. If you see a good rotation out there that needs an upgrade at five, someone more reliable, someone that's not a rookie who's done nothing, reuse the guy. And especially if it's full of right-handers and you just want to mix in a lefty there, reuse perfect for a rotation like that. Uh, Toronto back to Toronto. I mean, they have a lefty in Kikuchi, but can he stay in the rotation or is he going to end up pitching in relief? Uh, Boston can use anything good. We'll see where the Yankees go at the back end of the rotation, but they don't seem to be a fit. We'll see. Ryu's a good pitcher. He can still pitch at 37. So there is a lot of talent left in free agency. And until that no longer is the case, certain segments of the trade market, such as starting pitching, Dylan Cease, for example, Corbin Burns, for example, that may continue to stagnate and just kind of sit and freeze and be on hold to some level. Even though we see Imanaga sign, we see Stroman sign, un until Snell and Montgomery either sign or at least give indications to enough clubs that, that they're not interested in signing at their number and pushing that team, maybe it's New York, maybe it's Baltimore, in the direction of making a significant trade for a Burns or a Dylan Cease or someone uh, uh, along those lines, it's probably just going to sit. We're probably just going to sit and get nothing day after day until something pops. Someone's going to have to break the dam. All right. Hey, coming up at futurestarsseries.com, Joe Doyle's team top 30 rankings set for mid-February. His top 100 will come later in the month. We will, we will release those division by division. So every team in the league gets a top 30. There will be a top 100. We will release, we will release those division by division starting sometime the second week or early third week of February. I haven't decided entirely. Uh, I'll be in Arizona in March. So if you have things you'd like to see or hear about from minor league camps, from clubs that have spring training in Arizona, find me. Let me know. Best way is to DM me on Twitter. I am at Prospect Insider on the old X, as they call it these days. Uh, Joe and JB will be back with me next week. Until then, hey, this has been the FSS Plus Podcast. So just chill to the next episode.
certified gangster lane. Getting pumped.